repeat the, all of that again. No, no. <laughs> and we're talking about covetousness being uh, considered or agreed to be considered, as far as Paul's concerned, the same as as idolatry. Because anything we put before God, anything we put before God, or any person we put before God, uh, means that we worship them. They're more important than God is. Um, I, I've been rewatching. I know I, I have this thing about. I, I just am amazed by the West Wing and how even today it's still almost identical. The same things that we're arguing about today is what they were arguing about when when that came out, which was about ten or fifteen years ago. It it just uh, it just floors me that that we're, we're we haven't moved beyond some of these things. We we've, we've done the same. Point, I'm sorry. We've done the same thing, Val. We see, we we started watching it again, and when we don't know what we're going to stream one night, we flip on a, you know, we catch up again. And I mean, that one of the big. I mean, they had 23 episodes a season. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to the new series, it's like maybe 10 or 11 or 12. Yep. So it's it's you know we haven't gone through it all the way again. We might no, be we, I I haven't either. But at one point. Uh, the the gentleman who is the uh, uh, head of the uh, staff for for the president, Leo. Leo, right? Leo McGarry. He he and his wife have issues, and she says that he has put his job and the presidency <laughs> and the country ahead of her, and she's going to leave him and end up divorcing him. And she says, and he says fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, she he she says that this is this is more important than me and he goes yes it is <laughs> yes yeah. it is you know and i'm thinking to myself how often do we put something in front of god god says you know you just don't you just don't love me the way I, you should you don't care you're, you're not you don't care about the same things i care about you, you know you're you're and and you and and it's as though we're we're Leo McGarry and on you know on West Wing and we go yeah you're right but during this season of my life this is more important than you God I'll get up I'll catch up with you afterwards. Well, we know better. Do you do you really have that conversation? Do you really tell I, God I, hey I you're not thinking have about it, me? But there have been times when I've realized that I've put something ahead of <clears throat> ahead of God. Yeah, either. yeah. And I realized that I was basically saying that, whether or not I was actually coming out and saying it. No, I don't think so. But that's a good. That's a good point. Yeah. There was I a time. Like... There was a time when when business was my most important thing. I wanted my goal was to be a to have more money than my dad. My goal was to beat my dad in sales. My goal was to was to take Detroit uh, in my particular profession. Uh, to go after some of the largest accounts here in the, in in the city of the, uh, in the Detroit area, and to take them, and to be able to claim that I'm the the biggest and the best. And in the process, I almost lost my wife. I, I God became not very important to me. Uh, he was, uh, you know, oh yeah, sure, I still went to church, but it was that's all I did. Is I went to church. I didn't do anything else. Well, don't you think that's the challenge for our for our young people that are you know prof young professionals now, and they're in their my kids are in their forties, and uh, 
That's what I pray for is that they, you know, that they don't rely just on themselves and that they look to God and that they, they put their trust and, and, and look to God's strength and not their own. I mean, they're very capable, but you know, because when I look back on myself, when I was at that stage in their lives, I mean, it was, I was just driving hard and it was all about work and uh, God wasn't in the place in my life that he is today. And, you know, I don't know how sometimes, you, yeah, some, you sometimes I think it's a matter of uh, age, but yep. sometimes I think, it, you know, it takes something to shake us up and to go, hey, this is more important. You know, the, wh- where are our priorities? And, um, you know, there, and, and it's not to say that I conquered it the first time. Right. You know, I, I, I still have, every once in a while I have to remind myself. The way I remind myself is as I just think back on all the different things that have occurred in my life and God's hand in those things that totally, you know, changed the trajectory, you know, and, and put me where I'm at today. Uh, I couldn't have done, I didn't realize it at the time or didn't give it the, you know, the prominence that it deserved, but now there's no question about it. So... Yeah, that hindsight, that hindsight is significant later. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think God was helping me a long time ago, but it certainly was because I'm still here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Still do, I'm still kicking and I'm still trying. So. Well, that's a, that, you know, that to me is one of the reasons I didn't want to rush into this last week. And when we were getting close to the end, it's like, you know what? We need to shut down because this, this is a tough one. This is one I think that all of us struggle with at some point or other. And it's always about stuff. We always think that stuff is going to make us happy. You know, Rick went out and got a gun. <laughs> I have to tell you, it was, it's, a great, it's a great over and under. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, I, huh. no, I've been wanting a, a new over and under. I want, I'd love to have a new over and under. I need something that's better than what I have. Hey, Rick, lock your doors. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and you know, and, and I had to realize that. Wait a second, you know what? I, I I've got a couple of shotguns. I don't necessarily need another shotgun. Boys, you you shoot the Remington best, anyhow. <laughs> well, yeah, that last weekend I shot the Remington a whole lot better. We both than did. We both were best. Horrible, but um, that's because I've been shooting it. I'm sure, but it's and do I need? Uh, no, I don't need it. I need some new golf clubs. I, I think. Look, uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> yours aren't working anymore, uh, anymore, huh? No. Did you Did you wear yeah. them out? <laughs> All the good shots are gone. Yeah. 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 Uh, and and that's the struggle is you know the, we are a materialistic society, and marketing does a great job of convincing us that if we get whatever the newest, the latest and greatest is that we're going to be happy as a result of that. You know, we get that new car and it has a new car smell. We like that. And it makes us feel good. Until the new model comes out and we still have five or six or 20 years left to pay on it. You know, so you have to you have to differentiate, you know, that, that's true. A lot of things make people happy, but there are times, if you go back and review your own life, there are times you had a, 
different perspective and there was a joy that came from certain things you did. Yeah. That's what God is looking for. It's a big difference. That's good. You maybe did some small things for your child and you had a real joy about that, not just the happiness about it, but a real joy with it. Well, that's yeah. what you know, they talk about the difference between happiness and joy and that yep. happiness is external, joy is an internal thing. Yep. Yep. And it's, you can yep. tell the difference when you experience it. I know that. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting to find the joy in, of owning a new car. But, but I do, I am happy when I get one, you know. It's been a few years, but hey, you know, whatever. Um, all what's right, so, car? what's that? If you, if you switch cars, is that new? Yep. Well, it's new to me, <laughs> I suppose. Sometimes right. it doesn't have right. any smell anymore. But yeah, well, you can buy a little air freshener for that. That's true. There Otherwise, it smells like McDonald's or something right in it, right? <laughs> okay, so I, I want to deal with another issue, too, today, and that is the wrath of God. Have you ever heard people say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament is just so angry, just so, you know, judgmental. And the God of the New Testament is just so loving and kind. I, I like the God of the New Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. No, no one's heard me. No one's ever heard yeah, me. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. You, you look at it uh, when he says that your third and fourth generation is going to be cursed. You know, and they had no decision on what that other generation did. Well, you know? I've, I've wondered about that. And sometimes I can't help but think that per perhaps it's like, you know, the fact that I've done something, my kids pick up and act out exactly like I do. They learn from my mistakes and unfortunately they like to duplicate them. Yeah. And I sometimes it takes three and four generations for that to finally break the cycle I think is I think and I could be wrong but that's what I kind of think goes on there because God also says if we repent that he will not he will not hold our children accountable with if we turn back to him uh, yeah so, Ezekiel 18 really goes through that well we're not judged by our father's sins yeah but I think you know what you're saying is there are traits that I pick up from my parents or my grandparents that are, I don't want to say genetics, but just things that you've learned and don't realize you do them sometimes. Sure. Yeah. How, how um, often have we, have we said something, you know, have we heard our parents say something and we, and we have said, I will never say that to my kids. <laughs> and as soon as you get your kids, some of the first things out of your mouth are exactly the same thing your parents said to you as a child. Why? Because it's ingrained. It's that sin nature that's there. Yeah. That's repeated. That sin nature just comes, doesn't matter what generation it is. It's always the same response. Well, this idea of God's wrath is something that I think we need to look at. And by the way, this is not something that's new to this, to this generation, to the 21st century, or the end, even the end of the 20th century. This goes all the way back to at least the second century, probably before that, but certainly in the second century, there was a guy by the name of Marcion. Uh, he was a, uh, a Bible leader, a, a church father, I suppose. Uh, in the second century, he was um, 
um, roughly year uh, 144 AD. Uh, he was an early Christian who practiced a dualistic belief system. It wasn't Gnosticism, but it was dualistic. And he believed that the God of the Old Testament was evil and the God of the New Testament was all about love. In fact, he thought that the God of the Old Testament was actually the devil. Uh, he talked about what, uh, it, very similar to uh, the, the, the uh, Gnostics. They, they often, some of the Gnostics believed in what they called demerge, demerges, and they were evil demagogues, I guess, if you will, for lack of better definition. And basically, they they thought that uh, that an evil an evil god by the name of Jehovah created created what we see today in the physical realm. That's why the physical realm was bad in, in Gnosticism, and why the spiritual realm was good because it was created by God, you know, by a different god. And uh, so in this particular case, in Marcion, he took, it was interesting, he took the canon and uh, he threw out most of the, uh, uh, of uh, all of the books of the New Testament with the exception of, by the way, he's one of the first uh, lists of canon, the canonization of the New Testament we find in history is uh, Marcion's uh, collection. And uh, he, uh, he included... Um, uh, one of the Gospels, and that was uh, the Gospel of Luke, and 10 of the Pauline epistles. There were some he wasn't too happy with, but most of them he was happy with. So he, he those are the only ones out of the 27 books in the canon of the New Testament that he kept. Did he have James in there? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I like Marcion. Yeah, I'm, I'm tempted to follow in his footsteps. No, I'm not. Um, but, uh, you know, think about the fact that he takes one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke, and he takes all of, who, who is Luke a, a friend of or a, a compatriot of? Paul. <clears throat> Paul. Paul, yeah, Paul. So he takes, he takes 10, excuse me, 10 uh, of Paul's uh, epistles. Anything that hits too close to home he wants to get rid of. Uh, but he takes, he says, I like these 10. I like the, the uh, gospel of Luke. We'll keep those. The rest of them are, are trash. We don't, we don't worry about that. Now, a guy by the name of Tertullian, who was also around that time, he wrote actually uh, against Marcion in 2008. He wrote a huge treatise, uh, treatise about that. And uh, if you really want to look it up, I'm sure it's probably available in a PDF form somewhere if you really want to dig that deep. You probably get some more information about Marcion too. On but anyhow, this concept of the wrath of God is not just an Old Testament thing. We see it mentioned here in Colossians. There is a wrath that comes from God and it is not primarily an emotional uh, thought or, or have emotional elements that surface as a result of, of God being uh, upset about something. It's uh, it's not. Uh, it's pr primarily his wrath is an active reaction to his nature against all that is contrary to his nature. Right. 
And it is a recoiling of God's entire being against things that are against his nature. It's logical. It's volitional. It is a primary expression of God's judgment upon people. And it's interesting that it appears in this particular list is one of the last things that's mentioned in this for these first five is it talks about when this all happens, we're going to have the wrath of God coming upon us. Now there are, <clears throat> there are some parallel passages that talk about the wrath of God. Uh, probably the biggest ones would be found in Romans. We studied Romans years ago in Romans one through three and in Romans five verses six through 11 talks about God has to punish as a result of our sin. Someone has to pay the penalty for that. And that's what, that's what Christ does is he pays the penalty for our sin. He pays to, to pay the penalty of the sin that we committed against God, which is anything that goes against his nature. How does, um, how does this verse square with that? That if Christ has paid the price for whatever our sins may be, uh, that there is still wrath coming from God. Well, there's probably there's two ways of looking at that. One from the person who is a non-believer, we've not accepted Christ's payment, so therefore it has not his payment has not been put to our account, right? So that's one aspect. The other aspect is what about the believer? Do we experience God's wrath? And the answer is, yeah, at times. Why? We disobey. We disobey. And if we don't repent, what happens? God corrects. Remember Hebrews? You want to know if you're a true son or a bastard son? Hebrews meaning you. Yeah, does he discipline you? Disciplining is a form of, of his wrath. Now, remember, the problem is we think of wrath and we think of it as an emotional explosion. Yeah. And that's not what we're talking about. This is a logical response to things that are contrary to God's nature. God's holy. Anything that is not holy, he would respond to with wrath. And we can't do that because we don't have his complete, his perfect nature at this stage of our existence. Yeah. So our wrath is not correct because it's based on false premises. It's a tough thing to do. You know, Ephesians tells us that we can be angry and, and not sin. I have to be honest with you. It's really hard for me to get really angry and not to sin. But yeah. anger is anger is something you hold it. on. Don't you something anger you hold on to? Yeah, we're going to be getting into that as we get into these next yeah. couple of verses because it's interesting. The word for anger that that Paul uses next in this in, in verse uh, was it seven? I think. I'm going to get back to Colossians here. Uh, no, it's an eight. Verse eight. eight. Verse eight. Verse eight. Verse 8, that anger is the same word that is translated uh, God's wrath in verse 6. <laughs> so he's talking, about, uh, he's talking about an anger that is in, incorrect. 
incorrect anger versus a correct anger or a correct wrath of God. But it is an issue that we that we struggle with. And uh, um, let's just, uh, you know, I guess the, the, the question, Gary, is kind of reminds me of the question of this. There was a time a few years ago, well, probably 10, 10, 11 years ago, I preached a series. It was one of the last series I preached at the church I was at. No, I don't remember if it was the last series. I don't think it was. Maybe it was. I don't remember. Anyhow, it was, it was called uh, Confessions of a Sinful Church. And uh, it, we were talking about the, the, the sins that, are, that we do as a collective body and the sins that we do as an individual people. And, you know, so the question always comes up, is it possible for, you know, for believers in local churches to commit such heinous sins? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm remi reminded of the fact that I had people come up to me and say, well, Pastor, we don't, that, that never happens. After all, sin in the life of Christians is different than the sin in the lives of other people. And I go, yeah, it's, it's worse. Well, judgment comes to, to the church first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, after all, you think, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Hmm. Yeah. Did they suffer any consequences for their sin? Yeah. 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 Just yeah. a little bit, right? That's a, that's a struggle, I think, that we all go through. All right, so. Now we've got uh, in verse eight where it says anger, rage, or uh, wrath is sometimes used there. <coughs> anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Oh boy. Uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, who is long past this earth, but was a, a, an interesting Bible teacher years and years ago, early 20th century, I believe. Maybe maybe late 19th century. I don't, I don't remember now. Uh, he he talked about these sins that we just mentioned. These social sins, if you will, are sins in good standing. You know, we're so accustomed to anger and critical attitudes and lying and coarse humor among believers that we're no longer upset or convicted of these as being sins. But we are shocked when a member of our congregation commits a sexual sin. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? We're appalled at the sexual or sensual sins, but we're not appalled when a person loses his temper at a business meeting, and we, and we often want to call it righteous indignation, right? We make all kinds mm. of excuses for all of those social sins. Yeah, gossip too. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. And in this particular passage, especially starting in like verse 9, we're told to put that off. And to put on something else. But when we put stuff off, we're not talking about putting it to death. We're talking about putting it off. It's like like changing clothes. Is is really the kind of, the I the idea. The idea is that the old the old life is full of sinful deeds and it's represented, if you will, by grave clothes. It's like a picture of Lazarus coming out of the tomb, bound up in the grave clothes. And what does uh, Jesus say? Loose him. Cut him free. 
Why? Because he's no longer dead. He's now got new life. A, a new life. Um, not not every pharisaical baptism was this way. Not every church baptism was this way. But there were times when when the Pharisees practiced. Uh, you would take off your clothes, be baptized, in, in if they were all the same sex, uh, and then be put on, and then put on new clothes. Hmm. You would come out of the water. It, this was something that the the church duplicated in the third and fourth century. Uh, they would have uh, they would only have baptism at at certain <coughs> times of the year, and you would have to go through a baptismal class, and then you would have to be uh, you know, we talk about godparents, right? Some some of us still may, maybe practice that. So you have someone set up to be a godparent, and the idea is that they're supposed to raise this child up if, if and help the parents do it. Well, in the early church, new believers, even as adults, were assigned godparents, a godfather, a godmother, who helped to raise them spiritually. And when they got to a certain point that they were uh, able to be uh, considered mature, not perfect, but mature, uh, they would then be allowed to be baptized. And by the way, during the third and fourth century, that would also mean that they were then therefore allowed to take communion. In fact, it was the responsibility of the person being baptized who was going to be first being able to take communion. It was his, his or her responsibility, their responsibility, to bring the bread for the rest of the people to participate in communion that day. <clears throat> and they would often be anointed with oil. They would uh, fast long before the, uh, the baptism, which is... Uh, one of the reasons why they had, if you read some of the accounts of those baptisms back then, they had some kinds of, they had all kinds of interesting visions. And often it was perhaps because of malnourishment and or of fasting way beyond time that was probably safe to do so. Anyhow, they would then uh, take off their clothes, be baptized in a baptismal pool, and they would be given brand new white raiment to wear. Does it sound like Revelation where we talk about the saints being in white? Yeah. That was the picture. Well, the same, the same good. metaphor of putting on new clothes, it, it, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. In 12, it talks about we're, we're to clothe ourselves with. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're not going to make nice it there clothes. today. But that, yeah, we put off this and we put on something else. It's putting right. on new clothes. It's, it's, again, one of the reasons why what, what always happened at Easter when we were growing up. Oh, yeah. Fancy <laughs> clothes. New clothes. New clothes at Easter. That was one of the big things. And what did you do? You wore your new clothes to church. There was often an Easter parade. It was not unusual. Over on Woodward, there's a, a, a section of in Detroit that are, that are nothing but churches and synagogues. <laughs> along, They're still there. And, and, and on Easter Sunday in the 50s, there would be a parade up and down the, that, that, those blocks with people mm -hmm. wearing their new clothes to church, symbolizing a new start, if you will. And that was the original symbol. Now, it became, you know, it, would degra it degraded, obviously, over time. And, you know, we wanted to show off that I got my new digs and I, mine are better than yours. But that wasn't the original intent. So, all right.
So sin of bad attitude towards others, anger, wrath, malice. The word anger is the same word that is used of God in wrath. It refers to the wrath of God. This is in, for humans, this word describes habitual attitudes. Habitual attitudes. And then we get into wrath. This is that sudden outburst of anger. And I think we probably all have experienced it at one time or another. You know, sometimes I feel like sometimes people are on my last nerve. <laughs> they have cut every other nerve and there's only one that I'm hanging <laughs> into desperately. I do my best. What's that? Yeah. You do your best? And I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Just get in the car and drive somewhere here locally. <laughs> but it's that sudden outburst of anger that we, that we deal with. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. And we're told That's to have righteous anger against sin. We're also told not to let the sun go down in our wrath, which is a whole other issue. But none of us have the right to play God and to pass final judgment on others by our attitudes for them. Malice is, by the way, is an attitude of ill will towards a person. Uh, if we're if we have malice towards a person, we're sad when he when he's successful, and we rejoice when he's in trouble. And of course, none of us ever do that with our, you know, the people that we're uh, up against for a new promotion at, at work, right? <laughs> none of us are 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 are, are 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 joyful when somebody else, you know, falls on their face, right? And none of us are sad when somebody gets a promotion that we that we hoped we would get. I thought we'd pray for those people. Oh, yeah, I do, too. <laughs> Silently. Things that I pray for for them. All right. Yeah, you, I'm sure we don't want to. We don't want to st stick around there too long, do we, guys? No, <laughs> That's why I muted this. myself for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your mouth moving. I just didn't hear any words coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so in the King James, it, malice is described as blasphemy, which is kind of interesting because it's also it means it kind of it, it it's similar to slander of others and tears them down. Um, have you ever noticed that Christians are really good at malicious gossip that masquerades as spiritual concern? I, I would never tell you this, but I, I want to know something about her be, so that you can, you and I can pray for her. Right? Can we do that? We mean we. Okay, me. All right, again, again, I know I'm the only one that's ever done this, right? It's not very advantageous when you point that out to your spouse. <laughs> oh shoot we're recording oh so so how does that couch feel that you've been sleeping on a whole lot better than the doghouse <laughs> <laughs> oh man we struggle with that don't we first peter 2 1 says therefore rid yourself of all malice of all deceit hypocrisy envy and slander of every kind if we have a deep-seated ill towards a person, you can probably 
You probably use every opportunity to badmouth him. Well, I'd like to be better than that. So how come you're not just asking for a friend? Because uh, the mirror is not always available to look at. Yeah, I hear you, man. I hear you. <laughs> Uh, and then, then if it doesn't, if that isn't bad enough, you know, I, as I told you guys, I've been hating this chapter. <laughs> I'm getting beat up a lot. Filthy communication. All that filthy communication come out of your mouth. What's that? Foul speech, coarse humor, obscene language. <sighs> yeah, this chapter kind of reminds me of of when I feel like I don't, Games. you know, kind of oh. well. Yeah, I feel like James too. But I was thinking that, you know, when I feel like I got a lot of stuff going on and then I meet somebody that's way off, way worse than I am. And I'm like, oh, I have a lot of good things. This chapter reminds me of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Just what I needed. <laughs> you know, think about, have you ever thought about this, this phrase? Uh, hey, you know, you, now take this with as with a grain of salt we've all used it perhaps or at least heard it said have you we're not there we're not in colossians 4 yet but colossians 4 verse 6 says let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt (laughs) salt is a symbol of purity a symbol of grace uh, 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 a symbol of being together, a symbol of, of stopping putrefaction. It's a cleansing agent. And yeah, isn't it interesting how James talks about the tongue and uh, which is where we get the foul communication from. And it talks about how is it that the same spring brings forth sweet and bitter water? Yeah, really. Yes, I do know my James. I hate it, but I know it. I know we're not there yet, but at least verse 10 gives you some hope through these things. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not going to get to 10. Yeah, that's what that's what the whole that's what the whole is ever ever. No, no, no. 10 is coming up next. Well, this seems like that uh it comes out from the legalism that they were accustomed to. Once you have a legalism, you start uh, rationalizing how big is the sin, how big is the word, how big is this, how big is that, and it's a downgrade. You know, yeah, you want to well, be a part of us, be mm-hmm. circumcised. My, my sins are a whole lot better than yours. Mine aren't nearly as bad. Probably. Because I've compared them, you know, and I know. Right. And the problem is that we compare our sins to other people around us versus comparing them to the place that they should be compared to, which is Christ. Right. And when I do that, I find out that I am woefully not even close. But to to whom do we compare our sin? We should compare our sin according to God, to the Holy God. I cannot compare my sin to yours because, first of all, Unless I see it, I don't know it. Unless you tell me, I don't know it. And if I compare the sin to the world, I'm, 
I've just gone back to the same place I was there 40 years ago, rather than the realization uh, what God is warning me about. Yeah. So uh, this was, I don't remember who did this, but I, it was a, an amazing illustration. And I will use my phone versus a business card. If you take on the phone and you were to write on the back of this phone, the worst possible sinner that you know, let's say Hitler or Stalin or whomever on the bottom. And on the top, you'd put maybe the most righteous person you've ever known. Maybe Mother Teresa as an example, you know. And then you say, okay, where do you rate yourself on this scale, on this phone? You say, well, you know, I'm not nearly as bad as, as Hitler, but I'm not nearly as good as Mother Teresa, but I think I'm a, you know, I'm humble. So I, I have, a, I'm a seven out of 10, you know, or maybe I'm a five because I'm afraid to be, you know, I, I don't want to be too proud nor do I want to be too humble. So I'll take a five. So I put my name there. And then I take this phone and I lean it up against the tower or against the uh, uh, the uh, Empire State Building. And I say, God is on the top of the Empire State Building. That's what we're that's what we're aiming for in our our desire to be holy, our desire to be righteous. How do we compare? Well, when I compare myself to Mother Teresa, I'm not nearly so good. But when I compare myself to God. Mother Teresa, me, Adolf Hitler, we're all basically in the same quadrant because none of us come, can measure up to God. You know, the biggest challenge in reaching people um, uh, talking about sin, the, they'll yeah. say, well, I'm not as bad as such and such, you know, yeah, and I go, well, one sin separates you. You're, you're, it doesn't matter. And that's the hardest thing for people to understand that we are all sinners and it doesn't matter if I murdered. Okay. The laws will put me in jail or, you know, maybe the death or whatever, but I'm still, that's a sin and I can still get grace from it. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, um, or maybe I stole or whatever that sin is. It doesn't matter. One sin separates us. And uh, that's probably the hardest thing when you're reaching people for them to understand because they're religiously righteous. They're not saved, but they, they, they have a, um, an outwardly appearance of being good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always amazed that uh, when people say, well, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not so bad. Yeah. You know, my sin isn't all that, all that bad. I, I live a pretty good life. It's like, you know, if you ever thought, compared it now, I've never been pregnant, but is it possible to be just a little pregnant? I think so. You know, even if it starts off small, it's going to get bigger. Yeah. Just saying, the baby's going to grow, right? Sin's kind of that way, too. It starts off small, but it's going to grow. It's going to get bigger. Because we feed our flesh. All right, let's. Have, have, have I beaten myself up enough? Okay. Yes. Yes. Thank yes. you. Thank you. All right. We'll move on. The last, the last of the sins that Paul lists here, is in verse nine, which is lying. This is the same warning he gave the Ephesians in chapter four, verse twenty-five. He says, "Therefore, 
Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Do you remember that? Do you know who the who the father of lies is? Satan. Satan. Yeah. Trump. Some of you were some of you were claiming one of our presidents. Don't do that. That's what politics is, right? <laughs> politics is the art of the lie. That's true at times. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit is the is also called the Spirit of Truth. Yep. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's John 14. When a, a Christian lies, he's basically cooperating with the Satan. When he speaks the truth, he's cooperating with God. Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. By the way, a lie is a misrepresentation of the truth, and I would define it as that even if the words are accurate. And misleading, yeah. Yeah, because sometimes it's the tone of the voice, the look of the face, the gesture of the hand can alter the meaning of the sentence. The intonation that we use. The tweet. The tweet, sure, yeah. You know, one of the biggest problems with tweets or with e emails or even letters is that you don't understand the tone necessarily. Yeah. One of the reasons Absolutely. why we add emojis to them to try to make it less harmful, some of the things we say. That is a permanent record. Yeah, permanent record, yeah. By the way, there's an old proverb that says, half a fact is a whole lie. Half a fact is a whole lie. Well, I, I told you, I told you the truth. I just didn't tell you all of the truth. Hmm. Hmm. They don't want to hurt you. That's why I didn't tell you all the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, a, a gentleman, a Bishop uh, Warren uh, Candler was preaching on uh, Acts chapter five. I thought this is a great, uh, situation. And he, he said, he asked the congregation, if God still struck people dead for lying, where would I be? The congregation snickered a little bit and the smiles disappeared when the bishop shouted, I'd be right here preaching to a bunch of empty pews. <laughs> oh, man. Adley Stevenson, who ran for uh, pre president, was, didn't he run, run a couple of times? Yeah. He was a U.S. senator. Oh, yeah. uh, he once is quoted as saying, a lie is an uh, abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in trouble. <laughs> so often that's our first, our first go-to in, in, in the midst of troubles. We figure out a lie will help us. We'll All right. Us. Huh. And that's what God says, no, 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 don't do that. And we've run out of time. All right. We will deal with what we've, we, we've been talking about, what we've been putting off. Next week, we'll talk about what we're putting, we're going to be putting on. 
And I'm really looking forward to the end of this chapter. I've been wanting to get here. That the end of this chapter is where I really want to be. I want to spend my yeah. time. And we'll probably mm-hmm. fly through that. But uh, anyhow, uh, so my my suggestion is that we all stop lying. <laughs>